0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's episode is our very first live Masters of Community podcast interview with the legendary Jono Bacon. Jono's been in the community industry for a long time. He's built community at GitHub, Canonical, XPRIZE, and with countless other companies as a consultant and advisor. We dive into a whole range of topics in this one. We go into his new book, People Powered, where he shares his methodology for how businesses can build community. We talk all about how to get buy-in for community, the different kinds of metrics you should focus on tracking and reporting we talk all about the past, present, and future of community, given his deep experience in the industry, what are all the things he's seeing that are changing in the industry now that community is becoming really prominent in the business world. There's a ton of really practical tips in this one, as well as some of the larger philosophical discussions around community. You're going to love it. Let's dive in. All right. Well, Jono, welcome to the show, to our very first live recording of the Masters of Community. We've got lots of amazing community builders here watching us live. This is the first time I'm on video as well, which I told you, I usually record these like in a dark corner of my bedroom, where the audio is the best. But because I'm on video, I have to uh, <laughs> actually look proper this time. So thanks for being on the show. Very excited to have you here.
1: I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I mean, as you know, I, I love what you do, and I love what CMX does. And I I feel honored to be one of the first live podcast recording guests. So this is great.
0: Of course, you and I have had quite a few conversations in private over lunch um, over the years, yeah, or drinks over the years, and so uh, it's always fun to kind of take one of these kinds of conversations uh, public to an audience and be able to talk about all the yeah all the world of community uh, for others to listen in on.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely.
0: Why don't we kick off with just uh, your story. You've been in the community industry for a long time. You're one of the OGs of this space and uh, have a lot of background in open source. You have run community conferences and events. You've worked with amazing companies uh, like XPRIZE and GitHub, and now you're doing a lot of consulting. So how did you first get involved in community and what brought you here today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like so many of us, it was a, it was a windy journey at best. I was kind of 17, 18 years old, living at home with my parents, and I had no idea what I wanted to do for a career. Um, I was a distinctly average student at school, got mainly Cs. Uh, In fact, when I did my A levels, which is the two years before you go to university, I got two Ds and E and an N. It wasn't a great report card, it has to be noted. Uh, And then my brother Simon came to stay with us uh, for a couple of weeks. He was in the US and he came back and he introduced me to this operating system called Linux. Uh, which is fairly well known today, but back then it was no one had ever heard of it. This is back in 1998. So I went and bought a book about how Linux worked because uh, I worked in a bookshop and I had a 10% discount. And the first chapter of the book talked about how people all around the world come together to build this system. And I was just captivated by it. I just was mesmerized by the idea of people on the internet working together to build something, you know, as a long-haired 18 19 year old in southern england i didn't feel like i had any kind of impact in the world and i always knew i wanted to have some kind of impact so when i discovered that there's people out there in communities and you can join communities and play a role in it it just it just fascinated me it sounds like a cliche but literally a light bulb went off and suddenly my life had more purpose and i just wanted to learn everything i could about it so i just started building a, a community called linux uk in the uk and uh started getting to know people and just kind of it just went off from there, and just one thing led to another. I never had a a career plan I'd never heard the term community manager or anything like that before. The first time I heard that term was eight years later when I went for my to work at canonical so yeah, it's just a, a random journey
0: and so you've been doing this work for a long time you've gone you know worked with multiple companies, and a lot of your work is in in the open. Open source space, right?
1: Yeah, it's a real mix. I mean, my, my heritage and my background is in open source and tech, but uh, increasingly my work has been broadened out into other areas. So I work with companies who are in consumer products and gaming and security. But I think where I'm mostly known for within, within the circle that knows me is with open source and tech. And, and a big chunk of the companies I work with are trying to build tech communities or communities around a product or, or especially in open source. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we, we just uh, had a great interview with Nadia Ekbal, who's um, yeah. coming out, and uh, you know, we talked a lot about how open source is kind of one of the, it's basically like the OG internet communities. Like, like you said, before community management really existed, there was right. open source. And there's so many interesting dynamics of open source communities that, that does translate more broadly to all communities. So yeah. there's a lot we can and should be learning from that space.
1: I mean, I was just going to say, like, it's fascinating to me because I grew up in that open source environment, and there were just principles and norms within open source that anyone who'd been around open source for a little while knew about. Like, people have conversations on mailing lists, and you shouldn't top post on a mailing list, and... You have kind of standards of practice in terms of how people collaborate together around code and documentation and other things. And it wasn't until I went to XPRIZE where I stepped out of that world and got into a very different world that I realized how weirdly unique open source is. And a lot of open source people think of it as being kind of the standard bearer for for community, but it's really not. It's really bizarre and unusual and forged from a lot of history. Mm, What makes it unique? One of the things that I found fascinating was when I was at XPRIZE, I was there for a couple of years, and I missed the pragmatism of tech people. So, And this had happened many times over the I'll give you an example of this. When I was at Canonical, I was at a conference in somewhere in Europe, I think it was in Prague, at our developer summit, and we were sitting around one night having some beers, and we were talking about, wouldn't it be cool if we had a gamification, like if you got badges for participating in the community? So anyway, so the following morning, you know, I went and wrote like a, just an early prototype of this idea in, in Python, and then another guy came and participated in it, and then we ended up rewriting it. And within two or three weeks, we had something to play with, and it was cool. When I was at XPRIZE, because there wasn't that technology backbone, you couldn't just go and prototype ideas. You couldn't just come and try something. And that's one of the things that I realized was so unique about open source and tech is that because people have got the technical skills to do so, if you have a stupid idea or a great idea, you can go and... And come up with something that will work for them i mean another example was we used to run these 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 what we'll call o- ubuntu open weeks which is where people go on irc this is pretty old school and do training sessions mm. uh, and i was thinking you know you should be able to like show slides and things like that so i wrote this little tool called learned where if you're on in, in a chat channel you could say you know slide one and it would display slide one to everybody who was on there and you could add links and other bits and pieces. And it was just coming up with cool ideas and creative ideas. And I realized that I thought that that was normal, honestly, outside of open source, and it wasn't. So, you know, that's where I think we have these, the common thread, the psychology of a community is consistent, but then things vary in branding and tech and gaming and, mm. and crypto is a whole different world, like all kinds <laughs> of <different> areas. So. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, what, I guess... One interesting thing about community is that it's always about contribution, and yeah. the most powerful communities are ones where people are contributing actively to co-creating an experience or a product or something. And yeah, and when we're talking about internet communities and tech communities, which pretty much everything in some way is internet enabled or tech enabled these days, right? Open source, just yeah, the the people who are contributing there are able to actually build in a way that maybe in other communities they're not, they're contributing, maybe a lot of communities are like contributing content, not necessarily like building a product together. And open source has that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, so you've kind of gone through a a long journey in this industry through open source and through brands. You're working with a lot of different kinds of brands and companies now, helping them with their community strategy. I'm curious, like what you're seeing now because for anyone who's been in the industry for as long as we have um, and not, you know, I've been working in this space for 11 years now professionally, it feels very different right now than it has in the last 10 years. For sure. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm like not always able to articulate why other than like it's buzzier or um it just seems to be more in demand. You know, I talk a lot about the community industry arriving and it's kind of hitting its drive. I'm curious, like, what are you seeing today and and looking forward at kind of the direction that community is going that is different from the last decade of building community for business or just building community online?
1: There's a couple of things that strike me about that One is that I feel like we've been going through a renaissance you know I used to talk about this in some of my presentations that you know in the early days of certainly my experience with communities people were doing things, they were trying things, they were experimenting, but they weren't sharing what they were doing as much. They were just happening in these little silos all over the world because we weren't as connected. And I feel like what's been happening in recent years is that a body of, of best practices is, is forming. People are writing books, people are, are doing seminars, people are you know launching podcasts. And mm-hmm. I think we're learning from each other about how this works. And I think it's needed more than ever with something like community because this is an incredibly complicated art and science, right? It's not just one thing, right? It's incentives, it's rewards, it's psychology, it's collaboration, it's content, it's social media, it's all of these different pieces. So I think we're going through a renaissance where, where we're writing things down. And this is what happens with all new industries, right? If you look at anything um, that's brand new, at the beginning, it's the Wild West and people are just trying to figure out what's going on. And the only people who succeed in the early stages in that Wild West are the people who are just so naturally attuned to it that they can they can suffer through figuring it out. But I think there's a lot of people in the world who are very, very good people who need more of a kind of a structure than he guardrails. You know, it's one of the reasons why people go to university. It's the reason why people do training courses and buy books and things like that. So I'm happy that we're seeing this form. Um, I also think that we're seeing an industry forming, you know, like companies are building products and serve. I mean, Bevy's a great example of this, like Bevy builds products and has services for people to be able to create communities and ecosystems. And I think we need that to thrive, you know, like this can't be dominated by a single company, Mm. you know? Uh, It can't be dominated by a single idea. You know, one thing that kind of I find weird is that, and this is, it's meant with great intent, but often when I speak at conferences, people will say, he wrote the book and community. And it's clearly meant as a compliment, right? But- I always say, like, I didn't write the book. I wrote a book in Community because... We, I wrote
0: two of the books in Community. <laughs> two of the books. That's what you should say. Right.
1: There's so many ideas. There's so many perspectives. And there's so many opportunities to to get it wrong in a good way. You know, like, God, the amount of things I've got wrong in my career is just... it's. There's not enough fingers available in the world uh, to count that. Um, So I think we're going through that renaissance period. I think we're seeing an industry blossoming. And I do think that we're seeing more and more people interested in communities because the societal switch is going towards people who are connected to technology. Like Mm -hmm. we've got generations of people growing up today who have never grown up without the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's I think what we're doing is we're seeing people who are growing up with socially connected technology, like Instagram and Twitter and whatever else, so that the expectation with the brands and the services that they use is that they're going to have a relationship with them. That it's not just, you know, support at whatever uh, or a customer support line. So I think that's the the real change that I'm seeing. And I love it. I think it's fantastic.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very interesting observation that kind of the measure of an industry And I've thought a lot about, you know, community as an industry, and that's kind of like our whole mission at CMX since the start has been to advance the community industry. A measure of the maturity or the growth of an industry is like how many people are creating content and products within it. And totally, we've seen like, I think a 10x increase in the last year of people like content creators kind of sprout up in this space. Yeah. Whereas like it felt like it was kind of mostly the same voices for the last 10 years or so. And now there's all these new voices and writers and newsletters. I think more books came out on community in the last year and a half than I've seen in my whole career in total.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And more products. We're seeing more community platforms and more unique takes on community come up than that I've seen in a long time as well, where there were kind of a lot of the established players and that's, that's what you had as far as options for a long time. And now all of a sudden there's like 20 new community platforms that are very like nimble and lean and have kind of a more modern take on community design.
1: The other thing that makes me think about this briefly is I think we're going to see a bubble. Like I think we're going to see, like we saw in the early days of the dot-com boom, we're going to see a lot of new community businesses form, and a lot of them are going to fold because they're going to be trying to figure out who their market is and what products they're going to be delivering. Uh, I think there's a lot of businesses right now that are charging way too much money, and they're not delivering the right kind of customer service that they need for communities. Because the tricky thing with community platforms, of course, is because you can create, an, you can provide an amazing platform, but building communities is hard. So if you don't have somebody who knows how to build a community, then you could have the best platform in the world. And if it doesn't get utilized effectively, then it can reflect poorly. So I think there's a really challenging onboarding piece. But the one final thing I was just going to touch on that I think is really worth mentioning is, I also think we've seen such a profound change when it comes to diversity and inclusion. I feel like the community world has always been a bit ahead of the curve, you know. For example, when I've run the community leadership summit every year, we've always had tons of women show up as attendees, and we've always been really proud of this. And frankly, in the early days, we didn't really do anything special to make that happen. It's just I think there's a lot of women and men and trans folks who are just attracted to working with people, and I feel like people have just been generally pretty respectful and encouraging in our world compared to some other industries, and I think that's great to see that continue as well.
0: Yeah. I would challenge that a little bit, actually. I think that the research we've done, the data we've seen, shows that about sixty percent of community professionals are female. I think it's an industry that that the default is actually more strongly female. And so, when when talking about underrepresented groups, I actually don't think women are underrepresented in the community industry. Um, and what's interesting to me, and what I, I've frankly, become a lot more aware of in the last couple of years is I don't think that there's as much diversity and inclusion when it comes to race and ethnicity and some other groups that are underrepresented. And we haven't seen a lot of intention across the board, whether it's a company building their own community or communities of community builders, to to try to kind of proactively uh, include those folks and, and build more diverse communities and that is something that's starting to change now but I would say that's actually an area for a lot of growth yeah. in our industry that we we all still need to work on and I know we've made it a huge priority at CMX this year
1: yeah no absolutely yeah I mean I think that where I'm encouraged is I think we've been doing better than other industries at least when it comes to the professionals like the people who I see working in community like you said there's there's, there's more women who tend to participate in in community building. And I've seen, ai think a okay level of racial diversity, but to your point, David, there's still a long way to go, but within communities themselves, it's so variable. Right. <laughs> and there's still lots of work to do. And there isn't, a, and I think a lot of people, frankly, I think have got good intentions. They just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that will be part of the Renaissance, right? Is, you know, for example, in recent years, Having a code of conduct is now something it's now part and parcel of how you build a community. That was different fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. That didn't enter the conversation as much and um, so I think we're we're heading in the right direction, but I think we'd all wish it was faster than than it is.
0: Mm-hmm. Lots of work to be done there. And so okay, so the community industry seems like it's kind of really growing. There's a lot more people interested in it. Um, And you talked a little bit about like the potential of a bubble where a lot of people will invest in community and it'll fail or they'll launch community-centric businesses and it'll fail. And so, I mean, you've written two books now and you just published a book called People Powered that lays out, you know, very specific kind of methodologies and frameworks for how businesses can build community. And this is a lot of the work that you do with companies as they bring you in to hopefully make sure that they don't fail and that they do things the right way. So... What do you think is important for someone who is building a community centric business or building community into their business today that they focus on to make sure that they aren't part of that bubble that, you know, kind of just throws a lot at community because it's hot, but without really building a strong foundation so it can be successful? What's really important for these companies to focus on to make sure that it's sustainable and successful in the long run?
1: My philosophy and everything I do when it comes to methodology stems from this philosophy is twofold. One is that we have to be intentional in how we build communities. There's too many communities that I see in the world where someone sets up a forum or a Slack channel or something, and then they say, okay, let's just see what what we can do. And putting the tools in place is one tiny piece of the puzzle. So I think we have to be intentional about about who our audience is and the value we're gonna deliver for them and how we onboard them and how we mentor them when they're casual members and then how they become regular members. The way my brain tends to work is I like to create structured workflow because I think the way in which we communicate ideas and the way in which we build predictability is through processes and workflow that are lightweight, right? So a good example of that is TEDx, right? There's a reason why TEDx has become so successful, and it's because they have an incredibly consistent workflow for how people run TEDx events. So if you go to a TEDx event, they're all generally pretty good because they've got such a consistent workflow. And the reason why I like that is because then the workflow, the approach becomes a product that you can hack. It becomes something that you can improve and refine based upon what you see. So I think intention is critical. Everything that's in people-powered, and frankly, a lot that was in The Art of Community, my previous book, is all about intention. It's me defining a methodology in a way of doing things. And I think people often need that to, to kind of wrap their head around something that's abstract and weird to them. But the second philosophical piece here to me is value. And this might sound a little abstract, but we all know that if you build it- They won't come. <laughs> they will come <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah, they actually do not come. But I think that human beings, while we are wonderful, beautiful creatures in many, many different ways, We are mercenary when it comes to serving our own best interests. So I think if you have a community that can offer very, very clear value, something that can make somebody's life better, solve their problems, reduce their roadblocks, bring future value to them, they'll be compelled by it, right? If you have a community that just provides a place where people can hang out, it's just not enough. And I think sometimes, and this is normal with every industry, sometimes I think we think there's something's more interesting than it actually is because we're excited about it. And I think we need to put our brains into incognito mode and say, like, what does our audience really think about it? You know, the classic example of this that always makes me chuckle is when people are building a content strategy and they say, why don't we do interviews with our employees? Like, why do we interview our head of product? And it's like, here's the thing, no one cares. No one cares about the interview with your head of product or with your customer success manager. People care about serving their own best interests and, and solving their own problems. So if you can deliver value that really understands your audience and you can repeatedly deliver that value, you're going to build a community that people don't just go to because they feel like they should do, but they really want to be around. So I think when we combine intention and value, you, you create really compelling communities. So.
0: And what does the process look like for discovering that? So, you know, if a company, and maybe you could share a specific example, but if a company comes to you and they're like, great, I want to invest in community, we're starting at relative zero. What does that process look like? Like, what are the key elements of your methodology that you walk them through?
1: Yeah. So the the, the way I do it, and this is largely outlined in People Powered, and it's a similar approach very similar approach that I use with clients is the first thing is to say, okay, what's the overall mission and the goals of this community? Like, what are we trying to do here? Because I think one of the things that is important is all of this to me is built on a foundation of psychological and behavioral principles, right? And is that human beings need meaning to really care about something. If you can find the meaning, then we'll, we're very interested in it. So defining the mission and the value of the overall community is really important because then you can generate the meaning that flows through everything else that you do. Then the second piece is going to be understanding your audience. Like, who are your target audiences? Like, if you're building a music community, maybe you're going to target guitarists and drummers, for example. Well, guitarists and drummers are very, very different ideas, very different perspectives. I can tell you, for one, having played in bands for most of my life, uh, drummers, weird people. (laughs) Don't trust them. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) You want to definitely make sure that who who your audience is and understand, again, what that value is that they're going to want out of it. Like, what are the things that they struggle with? What do they wrestle with? Understand that value. Then the next piece that I like to do is to then design the journey. Because my view is that the best experiences in life are journeys. You know, I, I say this all the time. Like, if you go to Disney World, from how you park your car to how you buy your tickets to how you go around the park and when the parades are and where they are and when the restaurants are open, everything's designed by Disney. To maximize the guest experience and get as many people through the park as possible. So we need to do the same thing for our community. And that's why I developed a thing called the community participation framework that I put into people-powered, where you define your audience, you onboard them to their value, and then they go through three phases. They start with casual members, where you try to spin them up for at least a couple of months, build a habit of them coming back and getting that value repeatedly because it takes two months to build a habit, and then they become regulars. And when they become regulars, It's habit. They're coming most weeks and they're hanging out. That's when you can really unlock their impact and their potential. That's when they're going to think bigger because they know people, they feel comfortable. They've largely squashed some of their imposter syndrome. So they feel much more confident about having a large impact. And then a small number of people become core members who are incredibly passionate about what you do. And they're kind of like you you treat them with white glove treatment and make sure that they, they can be a part of how you shape your community. So that's the the kind of the approach. And what I like to do is to then bake that down into what I call a set of big rocks. So big rocks are your broad objectives for a year or a year and a half. And you say, this is what we're going to achieve. These are the deliverables. And here's how we measure it. And then gradually, you boil that down into additional levels of detail. Because <clears throat> one thing I've learned from working with clients, but also just when I used to work full time for companies is, We can sometimes get into our own heads a little bit as community professionals, and we can say, okay, well, we're hired because we've got the expertise, we've got the experience, we've got the insight. Therefore, whatever we come up with should be trusted. And in reality, you can be the best person in the world. But if you don't build your strategy in a collaborative way, people just will not get on board with it. People need to see their own fingerprints on the plan. Otherwise, they don't have a sense of ownership. And that's why i take the approach of big rocks when you create big rocks it's a simple methodology in which you can put together a complicated strategy without resorting to you know massive asana tables or air tables or dealing with huge complicated documents in google docs it's a high level set of value that you then that you then essentially drill down to the detail in and that's kind of how i how i approach it but that's that's how it stands today in a year i'll have refined it more and it'll be in a different way but that's kind of where I've got to at this point in my journey,
0: totally. And on that subject of getting others bought into it, I think that rings very true both internally for getting teammates or executives or whoever to be bought in is involving them in the planning process. It also rings true for yeah. communities is like instead of bestowing products or plans or things on them, if you can involve them in the decision making process. and they I like that way you put it of you know seeing their own fingerprints on the the plan on the project they'll be more bought in. What do you usually recommend to someone who's trying to get buy-in from their teammates or their boss, or maybe there's someone in the company who's like, "Eh, I'm not really bought into this whole community thing. I think there's other things we should be spending money on. What works to get people bought into this and see the real value?
1: So, One of the first things I like to try and understand is, it's a technique that's stolen from executive coaches I've had a couple of executive coaches come on my, my own podcast, and what they commonly do is they'll look at the current state of an executive, and they'll say, okay, what, are they, what is their perception right now? What are their ideas, their opinions, their strengths, their weaknesses? And they'll often use tools like Enneagrams to figure that out. And then they move to the future state, and they can compare and contrast these two profiles, right? See if they've moved the needle. So one of the things I like to do is understand where do people stand right now with this idea of a community. So once you've defined like the vision and the idea of it, there are going to be some people in the organization who will be just super jazzed about it, really excited about the idea of a community. And there'll be some people who will be not so certain, they won't care, or they'll feel threatened. And what I always want to do is start with the people who are most against it. So if if there's somebody who's really actively against the idea of it and feels threatened by it, is it, first of all, want to understand why. And that's tricky because people don't often tell you why. They often keep that to themselves. But what I want to understand is what do they consider valuable in their world? And then how do I have the community deliver value for them? So to give you an example, when I was at XPRIZE, there was a woman there who ran marketing. She was not happy about community. She actively told me to my face, she felt this was a waste of time. She didn't know why I was hired, blah, 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 blah. Oh,
0: that's nice. Yeah.
1: And I came to realize that she was a traditionalist, right? Her definition of marketing was newsletters and email lead gen, right? And within that, she was fabulous. She was really, really good at doing that. This was just a different cultural spin and I think she wasn't uncertain of how this worked. And also, like, I was brought in by the founder of XPRIZE, so I think she was a little worried about, you know, this, the dynamics of all of that. So one of the things that we experimented with, first of all, was running some XPRIZE events, and I showed her a map of the registrants from all over the world, and I knew that was going to resonate with her, because she was all about email reg, right, getting people signed up to email. And if we have people all over the world, then that gives her a bigger bucket of people that she can message out to. And then that can ultimately result in Legion. And then gradually, bit by bit, she became really excited about the community. And we actually ended up having a really good partnership there. And I'm not saying that in a condescending like, oh, she just didn't get to see the light. It annoys me when com- community people say, you know, marketing people just don't get it. It's like, no, they they just see it differently. <laughs> like the world comes in many different flavors. And she was adapting her assumptions around this to a new set of assumptions. And we're human beings. That's, that's the way it works. So I think focusing on those objections, but focusing on it from a position of, okay, well, why, how do we bridge this? How do we make this feel more comfortable? Start small and experiment and just do something little to build that sense of comfort. In, and then gradually you, you bring people along with you. I think the greatest leaders in the world... They don't lecture people on what the plan should be. They bring them along with them. And that's why the collaboration piece, I think, is so important.
0: Yep, 100%. And there's definitely that um, narrative a lot in community, which probably isn't super healthy of kind of like no one else gets community or it's like anti-marketing, anti-sales, because marketing and sales is like cold and heartless and communities where like, you know, (laughs) meaning and passion lives. But you know, that, right, that's exactly. no way to get buy-in from marketing and sales. And it's also just, it's just not true. There's a good way, a, a positive, a, a thoughtful, empathetic, human-centric way to do marketing and sales. And, and today, I think the people who do marketing and sales the best are the ones who understand that. And, and that should fit in with, with community really neatly and, yeah. you know, build it in a way that everyone can win, including members and, and the people within your company.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, there is no doubt, though, saying all of that that community people we're we're just better looking. All <laughs> of us, we're just a lot better looking. I mean, I'm sure everybody would everyone listening. You're not to
0: this. helping our reputation.
1: <laughs> Tremendously insightful. Speak for yourself, all right? <laughs> but yeah, I think bridging these cultures is super important. Like you know, there are sleazy people in every one of these industries. I've met sleazy community people. Oh, definitely. And and definitely. I think if we can. If we can bridge these cultures and understand each other, we can learn a lot from each other, you know? And that's, to me, the way it should work.
0: I agree. I agree. I'm curious to get your thoughts on kind of the direction of products. I know you kind of already said a few times that, like, the product doesn't matter as much as the people and the strategy, but to some extent the product matters. And Mm. as we said before, products, there's a lot of new products coming out. There's a lot of the established players, a lot of whom you've worked with in the past, and there's this kind of like interesting dilemma that I'm finding a lot of community builders facing right now, which is this kind of build on the large social platforms where people already are and where their attention is. And because so much of our attention is being pulled into the the main social media platforms, it, it feels a lot harder to get kind of an independent or owned Community off the ground. Mm. So, like, do you do you host it on the Facebook group or in a Slack channel or in a LinkedIn group or something like that, or do you create your own owned community on your own site, but have that and then you get get more control over data and experience, but you um, have to get people there. Which in today's age, you're competing with like the smartest, you know, product minds whose entire job is to get people to pay attention to their product. Right. It's yeah, going to be yeah, hard yeah. to compete for attention in that way. So. Curious just to get your thoughts on like where where is the world of community product and platform going and and where do you kind of land on that that debate?
1: My take is that I think, you know, we talked earlier on about audiences. And when you define your audiences, a big determination of of your audience persona is not just what content topics are interesting to them, what problems that they've got, what roadblocks they want to blast through, but it's also what their habits are and their expectations are when it comes to products and platforms. And I think that everybody has got a certain level of stretch when it comes to how flexible they're willing to be with certain products and tools. So to give you an example, there's been a number of times over the years when I've built communities for executives and getting an executive to go to an online forum is very, very difficult. It's just, they just don't go. Like most execs are just not gonna go and hang out in forums. Culturally, it's just not what they do. They've got other Things that they focus on are the priorities that they're interested in. But engineers, for example, very, very familiar with going to online forums and, and hanging out. So to me, a lot of it depends on your audience that you're targeting and making sure that you design it less about, for me, it's less about where people are currently hanging out. It's about what culturally is familiar to them and do they feel comfortable with. And I think that will, that will determine it. When it comes to the big social platforms, I think it adds an extra layer of complexity forward slash interest, I guess you could say, because there is no doubt, like one of the, I mean, Facebook groups, for example, become very popular in marketing circles. And I think one of the reasons is because first of all, they're free and they're easy to set up. Mm -hmm. But secondly, they get wired into the notifications tray on Facebook. So you can be on Facebook looking at cat pictures and looking at baby photos. And then you'll see that there's a new post from a professional community that you joined. I think one of the challenges that we're going to see is that increasingly more and more people are going to be privacy aware and they're not going to want to participate in groups with their personal Facebook profiles. Uh, I think that's less of an issue with LinkedIn and less of an issue with Twitter because people don't share as much personal information on those platforms. But with Facebook, I mean, I've already worked with a couple of clients where we've surveyed their customers and they've said, there's no way on earth I'm going to participate in a Facebook group with my personal profile. And switching between Two profiles, people just don't do that. So I think that's something that Facebook are going to have to try and bridge to maintain the platform. But I'm generally of the view, run your own infrastructure where you can, because I think if you're sitting in somebody else's walled garden, it's only a matter of time before someone starts throwing things at you. And uh, when you are using your own platform, not necessarily open source, it can be proprietary tools, but when you've got your own data, when you've got your own platform, then you're building a a more dependable, safer machine, um, mm-hmm. and that's why I think setting up your own your own infrastructure is better. And also, generally, you get way better analytics. The analytics mm. and social media platforms suck; they're terrible. Mm. They just don't give you anything particularly useful. So, I think then you can use your own analytics, and that's when you can start tying in you know nuances in your community program.
0: Totally. What advice do you have for someone who's building a software platform today? like building a new SaaS product for the industry? Like where where are the biggest needs that are yet to be filled?
1: So I, I would have said, if you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said analytics. Uh, but I think we're seeing companies like Comso, uh, which my wife and I invested in, um, are kind of bridging that gap a little bit. Although, and I don't apply this to Comsor, but I think analytics is in itself an imperfect area because there's an obsession with data and metrics and having dashboards jammed full of graphs. And I, mm-hmm. I think it, it moves away from the purpose of metrics, which to me is answering questions that we don't have the answers to. Right. But the one thing that I, I, I really, really wish there were more tools to focus on is reacting to what I call submarine incentives. So a submarine incentive is where you use a computer to detect behavior mm-hmm. and then you reward and recognize that behavior with a human being. So for example, in discourse. There's trust levels. And when people hit trust levels, you can detect that as their their community maturity goes up. And then you can send them swag. You can recognize them. You can do whatever else. There's not enough platforms doing that. There's a lot of platforms that allow you to set points for different things, Mm -hmm. but not where you can set tripwires to detect behavior and then react to it. And I wish more kind of like Zapier, but for detecting community behavior. I'd love to see some more tools like that.
0: Yeah, I think it's super interesting kind of the direction that things can go and in some ways are going, but to your point, not not really fast enough around AI and community as well to be able to detect certain kinds of behaviors. Yeah. Just help people moderate better and take some of that really hard work off of humans. And I agree. I think discourse is doing a great job of kind of, it's kind of like influencing behavior in a, in a positive way, right? Like they even do subtle things like you can show someone a message That that appears as they're writing a comment or writing a post that like reminds them of the values and just kind of like proactive moderation and build more functionality into the tools that helps the community builder kind of shape and massage the kind of engagement and experience that they want to create for people.
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting you say that, David, because I'm of the view that the tools should teach you how to use the tools. Mm. So the vision that I always had when I was at GitHub that I completely failed to achieve. <laughs> but I think GitHub and maybe starting to head in that direction now is that, for example, if you go and set up a new project in GitHub, you can get your code in there. How do you know how to do all the other things? Like, how do you find developers? How do you give them something to do? How do you get them up and running quickly and easily at a simple onboarding experience? And I think these platforms have got so much data and so much insight that they could guide the users in what to do. Mm-hmm. Right. So, for example, if, if in Git, without turning this into an, too much of an engineering example, when somebody submits code into an open source project, as a general rule, you want someone to respond to that pull request quickly to demonstrate that people are listening and that the, the, the collaborative process begins. Well, how long should that be? Now, I arbitrarily say it should be within 48 hours, but I'm not basing that on any data. I'm basing that on what I think is reasonable But GitHub have got the data. Mm -hmm. They could tell you what the average amount of time should be and how it should be driven down. And the tools need to do that. And I think the problem is that there's not enough tools that do this well. One company that did a great job with this is Mm meetup.com. Like from how you go and register and how you get up and running, I think they did a decent job back in those early days, like, you know, seven years ago of actually onboarding people. Mm. And that's one thing I wish these tools would focus more on. So.
0: Yeah, I love that. Actually, it was about seven years ago, maybe it was six years ago, that Douglas Atkin spoke at CMX Summit specifically about how they oh, cool. fixed their onboarding experience at Meetup, and then he went on to Airbnb. But um, you could Google that for those of you listening, Douglas Atkin at CMX Summit. Cool. Great talk specifically about how Meetup did that. But yeah, I agree. And and I think the data is a huge one. Data is still such an interesting topic in community to me, just because of like how few answers there are for the question of you know, how do you measure the health of community? How do you measure the impact of community? To your point, metrics should be used for, you know, answering a question. But there's still just so much unknown and so much opportunity in using the the really dense amount of data that you can get from, from a community to yeah. educate like Who are you talking to and how are they engaged? And, you know, the same way marketing automation wants to understand, like, well, you downloaded this report and you read this article. So we start to get an idea of, like, what's valuable to you and we can give you more content like that. Like, what better way to understand what's important to someone than to see the kind of conversations that they engage with and and who they engage with and how they engage with them? Like, if we can really responsibly capture that data, you know, not use used to, you know, develop any sort of problematic profiles of people, but just to better understand our customers and be able to like serve them better, then it's it's invaluable.
1: One day hopefully we'll be able to figure out the intangible. You know, we always say we can figure out the tangible. We can measure the with com- what computers can listen to, but happiness and kindness and empathy and um, I'm hoping that when I'm an old, old, old man, that there'll be some solution to this problem at some point where I can understand that level of uh, intangible value that communities bring. Because there's so much of it, mm-hmm. right? And we all we all know this. Everyone who's listened to this will know this. Because that's why I think that's why we we love doing this. Uh, yeah, but maybe it's it's always tricky.
0: Maybe it's one of those things that's better left intangible. Though, <laughs> maybe we're not meant to measure happiness or a sense of community, it's, right? It's, it's better left unknown.
1: You know, when I was at X Prize, there was a talk for many years about having an, a happiness X Prize for measuring and growing happiness. Mm. And we always got into this this discussion of should we be measuring happiness, mm. like just like you said. You know,
0: so. uh, it's one step closer to Black Mirror. We'll be rating each other. Right. Everyone will have a happiness <laughs> score uh, based on how you've contributed to your communities. Right. If we ever get to black mirror status with that it's going to be because of community managers for sure.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, with yeah, with the ultimate downfall.
0: <laughs> like, imagine if we had a rating for like everyone who joined our community of like how respectful they've been in other communities or something like it would make everyone's life a lot easier from a community manager perspective. Be. It might destroy society, it, yeah. but you know, we <laughs> moderation would become a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that's actually happening. I, I know when blockchain was really hot, I was talking to a few different companies that were trying to build on the blockchain kind of a decentralized reputation system for the internet so that, Mm. you know, your reputation would travel with you from, you know, Reddit to Facebook to Twitter to indie communities, whatever. So you can't like troll in one place and be an asshole and then show up somewhere else and be treated with open arms.
1: Yeah, I think the tricky thing there in my mind would be, I think something like that would, would track the extreme cases, but it would lose the nuance you know so i think we would be able to determine you know if people have been assholes in different places and trolling but for example i think the way in which people engage and participate in different communities Mm -hmm. varies quite a lot Um, when i just think about myself for example i'd i hope i'm not considered a troll or an asshole but um my level of engagement and passion varies tremendously depending on different communities. And just even the tonality, like oh, yeah. the way I hang out in music communities is so different to tech communities. For it's
0: true, example. yeah. Um, if I were judged based on my tone when I play Warzone, when I play video games, and that translated to like how I participate in like the CX community, it would not go over very well. Or like the basketball court, <laughs> if like I was judged based on my like tone in the basketball court was like also how I was rated for a professional community. It'd be a disaster.
1: I hope that there's recordings of this side of David Spinks.
0: I I hope not. (laughs) I'm probably on some Twitch stream somewhere, like yelling at a (laughs) six-year-old, a 13-year-old on Warzone. Uh, Whatever, that kid was a dick. (laughs) He deserved it.
1: I don't know him, but
0: I agree. He deserved it. He was very rude. He violated the community guidelines right (laughs) okay well on that (laughs) note i think that's a great point to transfer to everyone's favorite section of the podcast the rapid fire question round are you ready for the rapid fire question round
1: i'm as ready as i'm gonna be i can tell you that no one's (laughs) ever ready that was a
0: trick question no one's ever ready for the rapid fire question round yeah i don't think
1: i'm ready I'll i'll try rapid
0: fire questions and you try to have rapid fire answers and, All right, and then maybe we could open up to some QA from the audience since this is a live recording. we got to involve the audience. so uh, if you haven't already, yeah, drop your questions in a QA, and we'll try to get to them after this. All right. number one, what's your favorite book to re- recommend to others? The
1: Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday.
0: Mm, good one. I have that one. Love that book.
1: I need to read it again.
0: Why is that your recommendation?
1: Um, I'm a big believer in what I call manageable adversity is the way in which we get better. So doing hard things, I would not include unmanageable adversity, which I would incorporate as including, you know, misogyny and sexism and racism and all those nasty things that, you know, no one should have to deal with that. But putting yourself on hard problems, I think is how we get better. And the obstacle is the way for people who are having a tough time, having a rough ride is an incredible rinse of your brain to help get you on that kind of like adversity track. It's, it's wonderful. I have just a pile of copies in my office that I give to people when they're really struggling. Like I sent one to a friend of mine who was diagnosed with breast cancer and another friend of mine who got fired from his company. Oh, not fired. He got made redundant. Um, it's great.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, Ryan Holiday's awesome. A lot of it's all rooted in stoicism and really being like non-reactiveness. And yep. I love that stuff. So big fan of that as well. Great recommendation. All right, number two, who's an up-and-coming community builder or creator that you'd uh, recommend we all follow?
1: Samantha Venia Logan. I met Samantha many years ago through Ubuntu, and Samantha is kind of my muse when it comes to metrics. She's part of the Chaos Initiative, which is all about tracking community metrics, especially around tech, and just a really remarkable human being. Kind, generous, enormous levels of empathy, scary smart, um, and very generous with her insights. So, Samantha.
0: I love it. Where can we follow her online?
1: Chaos Initiative is probably the best place to go. C-H-A-O-S-S yeah. uh, is a great place to start. And then Socially Constructed is the group that uh, she participates in. So
0: That's awesome. Maybe, can you share a brief, thing about chaos, because she actually reached out to me, reminds me, I have to get back to her and uh, have a chat about, about yeah. chaos and the work that they're doing. But I thought it was really fascinating. I didn't know it existed. Yeah. Maybe say a word or two about what that is.
1: I mean, it's basically, it's um, it's it's a project that's founded by the Linux Foundation, um, who have lots of kind of like community foundations within tech. And it's basically trying to come up with a a set of metrics for measuring communities effectively. You know, I participated in the early stages of it, and then I just ran out of time. Uh, and frankly, you need people like Samantha, not me, involved in that. <laughs> it offers a lot more value. It's a big question, right? Like, how do you, like, what should you be measuring and how do you measure it effectively? Yeah. And then it's also tied into like dashboards and open source dashboards and this, that, and the other. Yeah. So definitely go and check out Samantha's work. If you go to sociallyconstructed.online, I think it is, you can find out more.
0: So. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're taking a really unique and I think will be impactful approach to solving that problem we talked about earlier of really understanding how to measure community. So. Highly recommend checking that out. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue to one of my questions here, which you're going to hate this question. If you could only choose one metric to use for the rest of your career to measure community, what would that metric be?
1: The one that I would probably choose is, I wish there was a better way of describing this, but DAU forward slash MAU. So that's where you define what an active user is and you'd measure how many daily active users there are and you divide it by the number of monthly active users. So active might mean, posting something, liking something, filling in their profile, whatever it might be. And that's if you take the daily active users divided by the monthly active users, it gives you like a stickiness level that gives you a sense of overall community participation. Uh, It's not a metric you can change immediately because it takes time to see the patterns forming, but I think it's one of the best ways of determining community health. And you want to shoot for at least 30%.
0: Awesome. Very practical tip there. Love it. What's your go-to self-care practice?
1: Ah, stoicism. (laughs) Love it. So I actually break this into two areas. One is stoicism. I'm a huge fan of stoicism. And again, this is about training an additional little voice in your head to always say, like, how do you want this to turn out? Like, how do you want to influence this, this decision? And I think it's a very, very powerful way of dealing with tough times, is training your brain to take an objective, analytical approach to challenges, as opposed to feeling that coiled spring, that knot in your stomach when something goes the way you didn't expect it to go. I think stoicism is incredible. It's extremely powerful and it takes a lifetime to to master. And I wouldn't claim that I've mastered it by any stretch, but I've, I've certainly got a lot of value out of it. The other one is what I call an executive check-in, which is where you when you're trying to figure out a problem or you're trying to, again, just trying to deal with a difficult situation is going for a drive or a bike ride or a skateboard ride or something else, a place where you can talk to yourself without being heard. And then basically you use yourself as a coach. Um, There's been times when I've had a bad day and I'm feeling vulnerable and I'll go for a drive and I'll basically lecture myself. I'll say, come on, dude, don't be so ridiculous. Okay. Pull yourself together. It's amazing how well it works. (laughs) I do it all the time. I do at least once a week. I find it really helpful.
0: I love it. Great advice. What's your favorite quick engagement tip that you use in communities? Detect somebody's
1: first contribution to your community. Could be a posting, answering a question, could be showing up at an event, joining your webinar, and then recognize them publicly. Just say in a forum post or a Slack message, hey, it was great to see you, or drop them. It could even be a private recognition. People crave validation. So just recognize them. It'll put a little note in their brain, a little bookmark in their brain that says, huh, this community actually pays attention to its members.
0: Love it. Very good tip. All right. Uh, what's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of?
1: <laughs> I had to narrow this one down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so many options to choose from.
1: So many options.
0: Every time I ask someone who lives in the Bay Area this question, they're like, oh, man.
1: Like, oh, God, how long like, you have you got? to choose one? <laughs> <laughs> this is not really a community that I was part of, but this is the first thing that sprung to mind. I went to a conference one time called PenguinCon, And it was half open source expo and half science fiction convention. So a very unique group of people who were there. And I was invited to be a guest of honor. They had like four guests of honors every year. And uh, I was at Canonical at the time. And it was another guy who was at Canonical, um, as well as the guy behind um, XKCD, Randall Munro, and some other sci-fi person I can't remember the name of. And uh, we had to judge a costume competition. And we... Never heard of any of the characters. It was all like anime characters and everything. But where things got pretty funky was in the evening. It was a very weird environment to be a part of, <laughs> to say the least. There are stories I can tell you privately about this event that was a bit unusual to me. Nothing nothing illegal or anything like that, just culturally people getting together and like rituals that they were kind of going through it was just i just wasn't really part of that world but the weirdest thing for me was hanging out one one afternoon when i was there i was doing my email in the lobby of this hilton in in michigan and i don't know if anyone's familiar with tron guy tron guy was a meme back in like the 90s and it's a fairly rotund gentleman in a very very tight tron outfit uh and he went on letterman and all kinds of things if anyone searches for tron guy you'll be able to find him so i was sat there doing my email, and then someone in a GNU outfit holding a cardboard box with John O'Bacon written on the side of it walks over, and Tron guy is running around with a DSLR camera taking pictures, and the GNU was gesturing to me to open the box. So I opened the box, and there was a fake beard in there, and then the GNU gestured me to put the beard on, which I did, and then that was it. (laughs) I
0: have no idea. It does, it does. And then
1: tron guy then proceeded to ask me a load of questions about getting his mainframe software into ubuntu and he refused to take the helmet off uh, which was very weird so that was <laughs> that's the thing that sounds very my...
0: sounds very burning man <laughs> yeah,
1: very burning man yes very burning man
0: all right love it all right last question then we'll open up for q a from the audience we got a bunch of questions so it's great to see this is the easiest question in the rapid fire round If you are on your deathbed and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one tweet-sized piece of advice for the rest of the world, what would that advice be?
1: Uh, For me, it would be be of service to other people. When you live a life of service, then good things happen to you. And this is shamelessly stolen from Seth Godin, but it's one of the most profound things I've ever read in my life. And I think it's true. The people who are service to other people, good things happen to them. So
0: I love that. Great advice. You're getting lots of Tron guy love in the, in the chat here too, so.
1: That's a sentence and a half.
0: <laughs> uh, let's dive into some of the questions here. What keeps you in the community space? Phoebe Venkat asks.
1: What keeps me in it? Um,
0: yeah, you've been here a long is g- time, Jono. What, what yeah, keeps you here? This is- I ask myself this question all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. This is going to sound like a horrible cliche, but I really genuinely think that communities make the world a better place. I think that the the human condition is a powerful, kind and generous one. And I think sometimes we forget that, especially with everything that we've been seeing politically and on social media. But I think most people are good people. And I think that when you connect people together with a shared mission and a shared purpose, incredible things can happen. Incredible kindness can be spread and great businesses can be built. Great social initiatives can be forged. And the good news is that, A, that's empowering and it's meaningful. But secondly, figuring out that stuff is incredibly interesting. And I just love the puzzle of how all of these things glue together. So to me, it's got everything that I enjoy about any kind of problem, any kind of puzzle that's got meaning.
0: I love that yeah I think for me, it's same. It's like the puzzle of understanding community and human dynamics and how it's changing and how technology is changing it. It's just yeah oh i'm I'm still just very curious about it. I'd say I sometimes get bored about community for a specific thing, yeah, but then there's always like an infinite amount of new applications of community,
1: yeah, yeah, it's a big canvas, and we're all painting on it together, which is fun.
0: mm-hmm, love it. Good question here from Jason Dunn. In your experience, what are the top three community metrics that marketing and salespeople will understand?
1: Um, uh, That's a good one. Top three that marketing and salespeople will understand. Well, marketing and salespeople are fundamentally driven by leads. So I think lead gen is definitely one and conversion is another. So conversion... Could be, in a community context, could be people who come to your forum and then they convert into a webinar attendee, or it could be people who use your product to your service. So I would look at lead gen, bringing people into your community, leads being new members, conversion into an outcome that the company or that the marketing and the sales team will consider to be interesting. And then I think that increasingly with marketing people, net promoter score is interesting as a, as a metric that people can wrap their heads around. Again, going back to the figuring out the puzzle, I think customer lifetime value is something that sales, especially salespeople, care about. And I would love to figure out what customer lifetime value for a community member is, where you're not necessarily offering just revenue, uh, offering just money. So those would be the ones I would pick.
0: Agreed. Okay, question here from Mariana Bicalho. Her question is, don't you think that the industry is growing, is going back to our original part of the conversation because marketing decided to look at communities starting with marketing 4.0, which considers that the important thing to focus on is relationships and that there are also a lot of marketing people talking about communities only as a marketing, as another marketing strategy. So it sounds like the question is kind of like, do you see marketing evolving into, you know, marketing 4.0, where the way businesses think about marketing on a fundamental level is becoming more relationship and community driven?
1: I think honestly we're we're all moving towards the same sunlight in many ways. You know, I think that the um marketing people, especially people involved in like direct response marketing and digital marketing are incredibly innovative people. If you just look at how people build their sales funnels and how people do nurture, there is no doubt in my mind that they're heading towards relationships and community building. And you know, even if that is just another marketing strategy, I don't mind that if, because that's the right marketing strategy in my mind. I think we're all learning from each other. So, to me, there's no doubt that I think if you were to have marketing people never, ever meet a community person, they would be naturally moving to the same kinds of conclusions that we're finding. I think we saw the value of the relationships piece earlier. But I think what's going to be amazing about this is that when that group of people spends more and more time focused on, on community, then all of their insight from doing effective online marketing is going to benefit our world. So I think this is, it's all good. Like, I think we're definitely seeing it. What I don't think is happening is I don't think there are a lot of marketing people who are disingenuous about it. I think there is a fear that marketing people are only interested in community because it's just another a way of finding leads. I think there are some people like that, but I think marketing people are realizing that the way in which you generate that customer lifetime value is through building a relationship and constantly nurturing them. And this is not new in the marketing world. People have been doing this with email nurture for 10 years, right? Is building that relationship. So yeah, I think we're I think we're all heading towards the same sun.
0: Agreed. All right, uh, we have time for one more question. And uh, I think if people have more questions, they could shoot it to you on Twitter yeah. or other places. Um, where before we wrap up, you'll share the places they can find you and follow you. Last question is from Mary Crisponzo. Uh, what made you realize that intention and value are the most important things companies should focus on when building a community, a sustainable community? Did you learn this from past mistakes?
1: Yeah, I mean, it really was from past mistakes. It's because one thing I learned a number of years ago at a, a conference called Foo Camp, which I don't know if it's even still going anymore, was this guy, Scott. Birkin, I think his name was, uh, talked about if you want to build something amazing, you need to figure out the worst way of doing something and then invert it. So for example, if you want to build the worst phone, uh, if you want to build the best cell phone, then what would the worst cell phone look like? The buttons are too small. The screen is not visible in the light, things like that. And then you invert it. You make nice big buttons and the screen that reflects, doesn't reflect uh, poorly. And one of the things, so I started when I, when I learned that I started looking at community from the same, through the same lens, like what are the things that everyone screws up? Well, they just kind of lob the community together. You know, they set up a forum, they chuck out social media and blogging and whatever else and see what sticks. Well, that doesn't generate consistent results, so that's intention. And then um, just too many community folks, in my mind, still today, um, build communities that they're excited about because they're interested in communities and they're engaged and motivated by social environments, whereas a lot of your audience aren't going to be naturally into that. So that's about value. So to me, it was really about inverting where I was seeing flaws in community strategies 10 years ago.
0: (laughs) I love that. Think about the worst possible community you could build and do the opposite. And do the opposite. Just just a terrible, abusive, aggressive, trolly place where everyone's sharing articles to their media. Right. (laughs)
1: It's <laughs> my worst nightmare. <laughs> All right. Exactly. All right.
0: Awesome. Um, so we're going to wrap up here. Jono, this is incredible. So many good takeaways from this. Uh, where can people go to continue to learn from you and follow you online?
1: One place is my social media. I mean, I, I post a lot on Twitter. And uh, so my, because I've got such a stupid name, my handle is Jono Bacon. So if you just go to Twitter forward slash Jono Bacon or Facebook forward slash Jono Bacon, you'll be able to follow me on that.
0: It's not stupid. It's very cool. Name. It's- <laughs>
1: Some people think my name is John O'Bacon, which would be stupid. Um, <laughs> um, and then you can go to uh, johnobacon.com. And then also I'll put this into the chat. I also have like, because uh, I, I put People Powered out and I also have like a thing called the People Power Pack where you can go and get a couple of chapters from the book. And I send a lot of best practice out via email. So when people sign up to my email, I'm sending like training and articles and and templates and all kinds of stuff. So you can go to, johnabacon.com forward slash pack and sign up for that as well. Um, and I'm just an open book. Drop me an email, at johnabacon.com. I'm always happy to answer people's questions. I love this stuff. It's always fun. So
0: awesome. Well, I can agree with that. You do love this stuff. And you are always very generous with your your time and your insights. And you've always been there for me when I needed feedback or advice on things. And you you've been in this industry for a long time, because it's clear how much you care about it. And You've done an incredible amount for this industry, whether it's the Community Leadership Summit, which for those of you who don't know is an unconference, uh, one of the first conferences for community professionals existed even before CMX Summit existed. So Jonah has been paving the way in this industry for, for a long time and just grateful for you and all the work that you've done here. And thanks for taking the time to join us on the Masters of Community.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's great to, great to hang out with you, David.
0: All right. Thanks, everyone. And we'll see you next time in the next episode. See ya. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo